Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Looking forward to this conversation. I think it's an incredibly uh, necessary conversation about higher education, the impact on our economy, and what we want our young people to be looking forward to as the sun rises. Uh, and we'll get to that in a little bit later. But I'd like to welcome in my guest, uh, the founder and CEO of Mix, Abby Brody, former majority and minority leader, former Democratic Congressman Dick Gephardt of Missouri. Welcome both of you. I know this is a very one. It's a very uh, important topic where there is great optimism with folks like yourselves. Uh, but one of great, I think, division when it comes to not only our place here in the country, but also globally when you think about placing young people in the careers of their future and their desired desired paths. Abby, let's start with you. Talk about mix. Why mix? Why now? And what are what give us the breakdown from 10,000 feet? So mix is the first like holistic rethink of what education needs to be for the knowledge-based economy. We're really at this exciting point um, where the economy has shifted and the educational models that used to support the industrial uh, economy no longer work today. And how Mix is approaching this is really poking holes and asking questions like good educators do. For example, how is four years this magical number, right? Which is really taking some kids six, eight, 10, 12, right? Why does it cost the same and take the same amount of time, no matter what you want to be? And really, it came from four uh, truths that we believe are true about the future uh, of education. Number one, upfront loading, the idea you go to school, 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 and then life, you're set. Put down $200,000, you're going to get all these credentials, you're set for life, is an obsolete model. It no longer works even today. The class of 2020 is going to have 11 distinct jobs by the time they're 50, half of which don't exist. And we cannot have an educational system that requires them to go back for four years, put down all that money, get out into debt for jobs that are gonna be continuously changing in this new economy that's moving so fast with technology. The second truth is we believe that online ed is here to stay. Uh, there's some incredible things happening and we cheer that along. It brings access like we've never seen before as an educator to see people get high quality, to be able to go to Harvard and take classes from Harvard. Like that is incredible and quality, getting access to the top professors versus you know other institutions that don't have the resources. Now everyone can get that high quality education and that excites us. But the third one, which is probably the most exciting one to me, is that the ROI of college is more than class. You know, we know that 73% of graduates never use their degree of study. The return on investment of higher ed is more than just class. We're incubating our youth. It's the first time they're away from home. All those things. Can we do that in a way that creates life-ready, um, passionate, incredible uh, graduates that are ready to take this economy and our nation where it needs to go next. And the uh, mix Congressman, uh, uh, Congressman, I wanna, I wanna ask you about, it feels like there's a parallel to the loss of the middle class that we're seeing. You know, I just recently interviewed the Chancellor of Vanderbilt University, the president of Belmont University here locally in Nashville. And, and the challenge that they face, it, it feels as if it's, it really is the haves and the have nots. 
And so if I'm a young person that does not come from a well-resourced environment, well, my goodness, I, I don't know if I can tackle the very challenges and obstacles that Abby denotes. Is this running parallel to our national economy and just sort of the outlook that we have as a country? For sure. What Abby said a minute ago is really the, the answer to this problem. And that is we've moved from an industrial economy to an information economy. So the only way young people or any people can succeed economically today is if they have the knowledge, skills that they need in an information economy. So the world has changed, our country has changed, but the education system has not caught up to that change. And that's really what Abby and her team are trying to do. And it's really exciting. It really is the answer to the return of a middle class in this country, which is essential to having a successful democracy. Do you think, Congressman, that this is an issue of, of, of maybe our, our perception of tradition? Maybe that's holding us back. We have this ideal in our minds that higher ed means something that it just might not mean anymore. It might not hold the same value. And I'm wondering if we just are at a, at a crossroads where we have to make a clean break to some degree. There are We have this in our society at every path good, bad, indifferent, whether it's divorce, uh, moves, change of career, but for whatever reason, higher ed feels like it's impervious to change. And I'm wondering if that's one of the core components that we have to tackle. Maybe it's a marketing issue. No, change is always hard with any institution, believe me. It, 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 we all want to stay in our comfort zone. We, we don't want to do new things. We don't want to try out new things. We don't want to experiment. And I get that. And, and I've, I also want to say that we owe a lot to these great educational institutions, whether we're talking about Harvard or community colleges. They are essential. They are the secret sauce of the American economy. They have really made us what we are. But they, too, need to change. You've got to have a movement to dealing with the facts as they are today in the world. And that is we're an information economy. We've got many new technologies to enhance learning, to speed up the pace of learning. And we're stuck with this old model that kids have to sit in classrooms for X number of years, take on so much debt, and, and try to get the information and the education that they need. We just can't do that anymore. We've got to blow up the old model. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. And we just got to move to the new model that we need. And that's what Abby is trying to do with her team. Now, Abby, I don't know if, if, if I just coined this or I, I read this somewhere, but I was looking through statistics and I felt like we've, we're holding on to a bit of a hope index, which is we've got, you know, 96% of chief academic officers are saying our students are prepared, yet only 11% of employers, I believe that the numbers are correct, are saying that that's actually their reality. Are we, it feels like this is centered on hope. And this goes back to what the congressman and what you've, what you've mentioned, which is the life skill component. Can you talk a little bit about that, hacking that element and how that actually applies and links the experience that you might have in, in essence, downloading 
that information, that knowledge, and that knowledge sharing, and then applying that in a real world situation. Your statistics are dead on, Ron. Yes, that is correct. There is a misalignment between what education needs and what the employer needs, okay? They don't speak to each other. You know, when you used to ask college students, why do you go to college? Critical thinking, they're all 92% say to get a job. Unfortunately, jobs aren't wrapped in majors anymore, right? What is a public policy degree? And what does that mean for your job? No, there's no transparency in outcomes. And what do employers really value? So we did a lot of talking to top companies, employers. We did a lot of interviews. What do they value experience? They're absolutely right. And we know a lot more about how people learn, right? We have a lot of research in the cognitive sciences that should be coming into the classroom. We know that lecture and just listen and passive learning is not how you master any sort of content. So at Mix, we're taking that best practice and listening to the employer to flip the classroom. So what we do is we leverage online learning that is at a fraction of the cost and allows students to curate their paths. So students at Mix have individualized playlists and think of it like your own playlist on iTunes, right? But these are courses and they're not just from one university, they're from the best around the world, which really excites us. We have students taking classes at the University of London, Sydney, and then the top institutions around the world curated directly to meet the vocational goals they're looking for in the fastest way possible. But then the most important part, online does not solve it all. We are social beings. We need to experience our education. So every student at Mix is doing an apprenticeship slash project where they have to apply that online learning. So when they walk away, they have more than just a certificate. They have more than just a degree. They have actual work assets and a portfolio of work to show employers. And that is what the employer is looking for. So we're really trying to bridge that gap between education, speaking to the economy and meeting them. You're listening to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. If you've got a story we should know about, connect with us through social media. We also want to thank our presenting sponsor, Strategus Group, developing and influencing through change expertise. Now, back to the discussion. So you sound like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I hear you speak about this, Abby, and it makes me think that in essence, and it's not to be to simplify it, but you're almost like the Amazon fire stick to higher education. There's portability, there's individualization, right? I can go right now and travel and take my fire stick and take all my media, all my playlist, everything that interests me with me and still have the experience of a different location. Am I hearing that correctly? That's is that a fair? Yes, and one thing we're really passionate about, I'd add to that, is that we are we have we want students to get the cheapest and most efficient way to the education they need because it will not be the end of it. Okay, this whole idea of upfront loading of education isn't obsolete. They will have to come back to education. So we don't want those first couple of years to be really expensive. So some students at Mix are getting a degree, some aren't, and we're okay with that. And we actually provide that narrative to our students. Let's talk about your goals and if a degree makes sense for those goals. So it's a flexible ecosystem. Some students require three semesters, some require six, depending on your goals. And that really excites us to allow that transparency for students to understand that we are there to serve their needs. It's not a one, there are no freshmen at mix. There's only Sarah's, Nico's, Ethan's, each on their own individualized path. And why travel? Uh, this is a question we get often because 
I'm really passionate about travel. Now, this is a personal thing. This is an Abby thing for sure. Uh, I believe that gotta be lost to be found. And when I look at what students outperform in life, gap year and, and students outperform and study abroad students, then you look at who those students are, majority, like 90% white. And I think it's in the 70% female. I'm really excited to bring this opportunity, which everyone should have, especially Americans to see the world and get that trans those transformational experiences uh, at mix for a cost they can afford. So Congressman, I'm gonna say something that I think it might, it might, uh, might spur you on here, but, but I do mean it in all seriousness. Do we need to politicize this discussion? Meaning, do we need to integrate in or have conversations on Capitol Hill that look at what we've, how we've approached higher education, funding supports, state, all the things that sort of are the backbone to our institutions of higher learning and rethink how we're doing that. So do we need to bring in the federal government and how should we do that in a way that allows for the Abby Brodies of the world to innovate, to inspire, to be lost and then found? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the government's support for education is stuck in the past, just like the education system is stuck in the past. So we have these loan programs, which really enhance, you know, four years of college or whatever, uh, rather than being granted for this kind of a program that's very flexible, very diverse, very different. And so the policymakers need to be drawn into this and I'm working with Abby to try to get those conversations to go on. It'll take a while. It changes hard. I've said it before. Uh, so, but we got to go through it. There's no other way. The government support, which is very important for kids, for young people to be educated and have the information they need, has to come forward to the times that we're in along with the education system. So Congressman, it feels like when, I, when I'm hearing Abby talk about mix, I feel like this is going to breed even more entrepreneurs. And we were already in the age of the entrepreneur. And it feels like that might be a role that the government could play when we think about, my goodness, if we have young people that are feeling independent of independent mind and thought and innovation, what we would like for them as an economy, I would imagine, to start their own businesses, to be innovators across the world. Well, that's the case. What can the government do from a tax perspective? Like what incentives can be out there that inverts the model? Because, you know, we hear it in the news, a big corporation moves to a state. And why did they move? Because they got tax benefits. There are all kinds of packages that incentivize a major corporation to house themselves in a metropolitan area around the U.S., but we don't hear a lot about the small business owner, the entrepreneur, and it feels like if we can help support the Abby Brodies of the world, we're gonna have a fantastic roster of entrepreneurs across this country that will need supports along the way. That's absolutely right. And uh, you always need to look at government policy, whether it is helping people become entrepreneurs and succeed as small businesses that they're starting, or inhibits their ability to do that. That's an ongoing conversation. It occurred when I was in Congress, it's still occurring today. It really needs to occur. But we also need to adapt the whole federal support system for education so that it, the abbeys of the world are doing this broadly with scale so that more and more young people all across the country can 
can enjoy this, can participate in this and become entrepreneurs, become candidate entrepreneurs. One more thing I'd say, this country is magical. It is magical. It's because we have created opportunity for generations of Americans. I think I read a statistic that during the pandemic, when business was shut down, there were more entrepreneurs creating more new businesses than any time in our history. This country is unbelievable. And it's because of the people and the education that the people have had. So we've got to increase our ability to give people meaningful education, meaningful information to arm them to meet the world as it is today. And that's what Abby's trying to do. Let, let's let me take say this. one other, let me say yes, one other please. thing. I gotta tell you, <laughs> I gotta tell you my personal story, okay? And it'll bore you for a minute, but let me tell it. So I grew up in St. Louis City in the 50s. I'm really old. And uh, when I was a junior in public high school in the city of St. Louis, I was in a speech class, public speaking. And I had a teacher, Ms. Minuk, I can still see her. She came up to me after class one day and said, I think you could get a scholarship to go to Northwestern speech school, but they have a summer camp, a summer session for high school students between their junior and senior year. It's five weeks in Evanston. I think you could get in. So uh, she helped me fill it out. I got in, I got on the train in St. Louis. I'd never left St. Louis in 17 years. I'd never been out of St. Louis. So I wind up on the campus of Northwestern with all these champion debaters, champion extemporaneous speakers, dramatists, poetry readers. I felt like I had landed on Mars. It was the transformational moment in my life. Neither of my parents went to high school. We had no money. I didn't know anything about, I wouldn't have considered college, but for that intervention by her and that experience. That's what Abby's team is trying to do with all young people in this country to give them that transformational experience so that they can see something around them that they can be passionate about and want to do in their life. That's a magical gift for anybody. And, and I so appreciate your inclusion there of high school and that transition. And that was one area that I wanted to ask about is in essence, if we sort of use a, you know, a sports analogy, if we're gonna create a minor league system so that they're ready for the mix, right? They're ready for these experiences. It feels like we have to be able to think K-12 in getting not only our, our students prepared, but our families, our educators on the ways in which students of that age group experience learning, right? Or don't, or the way that we should be thinking about pivoting. How can we incorporate in K-12 into the discussion so that we don't, in essence, make the same mistake? We've just sort of moved you know, the slide ruler here a little bit, right? So how do we make sure that they're prepared and ready to make this? Because I would imagine if we seed this market, the K-12, 
parents are going to be more supportive of this. They're going to be looking into this at a much higher rate. When you get parents that are motivated, that impacts local politics, state politics, and the federal government ultimately. So at some point, we have to incorporate them into the discussion. How do we do that? And I know this is not, Abby, about you tackling the whole, <laughs> the whole enchilada here, but how do you think about the K-12 inclusion in this discussion? I came from K-12. Majority of my career is in K-12. I moved to higher ed because I knew that if we didn't change the end goal, K-12 can't change. So uh, this is this my passion and most of my career is in K-12. I personally believe there's more ability to experiment, try stuff in K-12 than in higher ed currently. Uh, so I believe if we can change the outcome, because K-12 has a goal right now and is getting these kids in college. That's how they're rated. That's the only thing you can do to rate schools from Apple, you know, all these schools, how are they rated in the end? College acceptance rates, where these kids went. If we could change the outcome, right, that these, that these schools have to shoot for, that there are alternative paths that kids can curate. And guess what? College does work. Traditional college works for, we think, 14% of those who get in there and really works well. Uh, there, there should be alternatives. These colleges are incredible. I mean, the United States, as Dick said, have the best learning institutions in the world. Yes, some of them are slower to move and they need to change and they will be forced to change. I'm not worried. They will be forced to change, not only because of just basic supply and demand, um, the you know, in, uh, technologies, but also these students and parents are demanding more. You have a very interesting group coming into higher ed. It is the Gen Z kid who is entrepreneurial, who Greek life, not the reason they choose a school, which used to be a real drawing point for people. No, they want to make change. They want to be individuals coupled with the millennial parent. The millennial parent, the most disenfranchised generation we've ever produced from education, who is swimming in debt, lack of job opportunities, they're very much questioning the norm um, that we've seen after generation after generation continue down the same path, expecting different results. Millennials are a little wiser. They're gonna be questioning. Abby, let, let's close with this. You, 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 you have a bit of a mantra there that I really liked, which was you've gotta be lost to be found. Uh, talk about your moment of being lost because I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that mix and working with a congressman and your team, you, you, have, you have found sort of your North Star. You can just hear it in your voice and your passion. Talk a little bit about that point of being lost and connect that to today. Yeah. I really believe that purpose of finding your voice should be part of education. We don't give enough time for students to explore and we know the results. You know, when we would do student interviews, um, you talk to us second semester sophomore, how's your major going? I hate it. Are you gonna transfer? No, no, that's too much money and too much time, right? They get stuck in these, you know, 73% of graduates don't use their degree of study and 41% of graduates don't even go into a vocation that requires a degree. All that money and time has been lost. And I believe that purpose education, exploration at low risk, high reward, you know, our students are taking their playlist for $400. And if they don't like something, they can pivot. We need flexibility. And I do believe that travel and showing Americans, uh, getting them out of, you know, community college has a role, but taking that community college student and bringing them to a city they've never 
been and seeing the world and, and finding their voice in that world is a powerful experience. And the last thing I just want to add that the mix is doing that you know doesn't get enough airtime is really concerned about the mental health crisis happening on college campuses. And all mixed communities are only 150 students for that reason. We really want to create incubation-like experiences where everyone knows their name and they feel like they belong. We believe that belonging is one of the reasons why this, this meant 79% of students are having a mental health break on campus. And then the other piece that we're addressing that I don't think anyone else is financial literacy, basic contract law, how to change a tire. Let's get these uh, young adults ready to be independent beings. I need that class, Abby. <laughs> you know, by the way, I, I sit in on that class. <laughs> Well, look, it's it's a great pleasure to meet both of you. Uh, I wish you well. I think that this is uh, it's necessary. We need, you know, I think your your ability to integrate in uh, a Congressman Gephardt and others says a lot about you as a leader in an entrepreneurial world. That that says a lot, right? That you have to have a medal about you, a, a sturdiness, right? But also an ability to pivot, and I think that's in, in, imperative. And I speak probably more as a father of a nine and a seven year old when I say that, as uh, uh, more than even someone that works in education. So. Uh, you know, kudos to both of you and what you're doing. We want to thank the Mix founder and CEO, Abby Brody, and former Congressman Dick Gephardt out of Missouri. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger. <laughs>